Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. And on the other line, on some much-needed time off after acting as the PR consultant for the Don't Worry Darling press tour, it's Emily Wheeler. Hello, I'm excited to be back. Not overly excited to talk about two movies where uh, women are not having a great time, but uh, excited to be back on the podcast still. Yeah, so this weekend at the movies, it's it's there's kind of a theme of women in peril. Um, I don't... I'm a little bit mixed on how to feel about that, but, um, you know, the kind of two biggest releases, I guess, of the last week on one hand is Don't Worry Darling. This is the much gossiped about uh, second feature from actress Olivia Wilde um, that stars Florence Pugh and pop star Harry Styles. It is this kind of high concept thriller where the both of them play a young married couple living in this sort of idyllic desert community that kind of feels ripped from like the trendiest catalog in 1955. Um, And all the men in this community work for this sort of secret company that's run by Chris Pine. And no one's really allowed to talk about what they do there. The women just sort of stay home and cook and clean. But don't worry, because there's always, like, an elaborate cocktail that's, like, no more than, like, two centimeters from your hand at all times. And you can essentially buy whatever you want. Just don't talk about anything. Don't question anything. And don't leave the desert community. And Florence Pugh's character eventually starts to think, hmm, there is something up. Why can't I talk about what? What is my husband doing all day? Why can't I live leave the desert community? Why is my neighbor all of a sudden acting strange and wants to kill herself? Um, and then on the other end of your Cineplex, and in a couple days on your Netflix account, is Blonde. This is the another controversial, but maybe in different ways. A movie that is an adaptation of the Pulitzer Prize winning novel from Joyce Carol Oates that is sort of a fictional recounting of the life of Marilyn Monroe. Um, I have not read the novel. I don't know if you have, Emily. My understanding is it is sort of in, in the way that like Moby Dick is using like the whaling industry as this sort of like allegorical prison to prism to look at all these like facets of American culture um Joyce Carol Oates novel is doing that with Marilyn Monroe and after years of of hype and speculation and a pandemic and a back and forth with Netflix about how much graphic content was going to be in it uh it's here it's directed by Andrew Dominic the Australian filmmaker behind stuff like Killing Them Softly and Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford and it stars Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe and is a dense uh brutal three uh, nearly three hour nightmare scape into the mind of marilyn monroe i just spewed a lot out on the microphone um emily i'm curious what your thoughts were watching both of these movies did you have the same experience i did of i got back from the the lovely toronto international film festival very next day saw blonde night after that saw don't worry darling and so both of these kind of meshed together have been on my mind for 
a little over a week, um, but I'm very, very curious, like, what your kind of general thoughts were about both of these. You took a very different tact coming back from uh, TIFF than I did. Uh, I went I went there the first time in 2014, and I immediately, I, on the plane, I got back from my, on. I got off the plane coming back, and I immediately went to see uh, the first Godzilla, if you remember, came back in 2014, and saw that immediately after TIFF. So, um, whether that's a better movie than either of these two is questionable, but uh, definitely there, there uh, are, very uh, different. <laughs> monsters in both of them. I guess one of them we could kind of say is is a is a horror movie of sorts. Yes, um, I was not coming off that many movies, um, so I kind of saw Blonde and Don't Worry Darling about a week apart from each other. So they also weren't quite fresh in my mind off of each other, but they definitely are incredibly connected i don't think you have to see them back to back to realize that like these films are talking about the exact same things in many ways um i like i said i saw blonde first um i think both of these movies are films you have definitely heard a lot about before you see them uh kind of inevitably because of the news cycles around both of these movies uh blonde as you were saying has been a lot in the news because of uh, whether it was going to get an NC-17 rating, and that would have been the first one for Netflix, and I believe it did go ahead and stick yeah. with that. From what I saw, it earns it. <laughs> and it seems like Netflix has a little bit of a don't ask, don't tell relationship to this movie, if I yeah. have to be honest. Yeah, so I mean, I did, knowing that this was coming, I went ahead and read the book as well. Um, so I do have that background. And so I wasn't surprised by kind of the odd uh, tone that Blonde takes. Uh, Blonde to its, I think, uh, credit, it is very clear that this is not a, this is a fictional telling of Marilyn Monroe and of Norma Jean is her real name. Um, the landscape, the landscape and the tone of the movie, I think is very much a nightmare. I think you've already used that word to describe it. I think that's just what it feels like. It feels like a three hour nightmare. It is very unpleasant to sit through. And again, I think giving it the benefit of the doubt intentionally um hard to sit through um my issue with it was the exact same as i walked away from the novel yeah they're unpleasant and i understand that there's reasons to tell an unpleasant story but to me if you're telling an unpleasant story i better be getting something out of that it better be worth how much you're putting me through and boy was neither the book nor the movie for different reasons oddly worth sitting through to me yeah i think kind of for me thinking about both of these movies they're both movies that are like very aggressively trying to to say a lot and say a lot about um the ways men sort of trap women and exploit women and uh in some case in blonde kind of brutalize and sexualize women in our popular culture but i think the sort of failure and we'll talk a little bit more spoilery about don't worry darling kind of later in the episode that way if any of our listeners have not heard it they can kind of get the gist of our opinions but we'll avoid specifics until the very end um but i think both movies sort of find these like very overly simplistic ways to sort of explore both of those ideas i mean in the case of of blonde it is you know, it's stylized within an inch of its life, um, which I sort of find, I mean, it is the more fascinating, I think, of these two in or, in, for any other reason than just, like, it feels a, like a real uh, 
<laughs> like you can't see the forest through the trees sort of movie of like this really feels like uh, it, it it is sort of really reaching out there in terms of like a lot of its aesthetic choices but it it all feels a little it feels like whatever the central idea of the movie kind of gets lost a little bit or maybe that's not quite the right word it just sort of like it becomes numbing at a certain point into just sort of like oh is really all there is to this three-hour movie in which it feels like there's a lot of creativity on screen in terms of like the aesthetic choices and this movie is like constantly shifting from various aspect ratios to black and white and to color to even within the black and white like different contrast levels of black and white of like some is a little bit more softer and looks like an old movie from the 40s others is like very very high contrast and looks like a calvin klein ad (laughs) to some extent there is scenes where Ana de armis is like digitally inserted into old marilyn monroe movies in a way that i like thought like like you could have convinced me that that was just actual footage from Niagara or uh, I guess they don't show any footage from some hot, like it hot, but like uh, gentlemen prefer blondes. I think they, they do like a recreation of, um, but essentially the whole movie kind of boils down to just sort of like, I didn't have a daddy and I went to looking for a daddy in, in every man and just to every man one after another sort of brutalized me. And there's no sort of sense. It just sort of keeps you in that kind of like, very intense headspace without any sort of fluctuation of tone or nuance for three hours to the point where like kind of by the end I was sort of dipping off a little bit because I was like I don't know where where else there is to to go with this like this and and this is almost sort of like I think the funniest comment I saw to this was uh, David Sims at the Atlantic. His like letterbox review for this was just like parody level shit of just like, it is kind of the most sort of like, um, you know, walk up to random guy. Are you my daddy hits her? Be like, daddy, why did you do that? Sort of like, that's basically the summation of the movie. And I think it's got a lot on its mind and wanting to, like I said, speak to like, the sexualization of women in popular culture and about how like cycles of abuse can sort of come back to you and leave these sort of long lasting wounds. But it just sort of finds the most kind of like, I don't know, tired, simplistic version to do that and doesn't find any sort of nuance or fluctuation in how to portray those ideas. I don't know. Is that, is that kind of kind of what you were thinking as you were watching it? Yeah, I had really similar thoughts, I think, particularly on Blonde and kind of in your connection to uh, Don't Worry Darling on what the issues were with these two movies. Um, They are, as you were saying, both really framing women uh, in relation to men. That's really how they define their women. That's really uh, what they claim their problems are, I think, basically. I think with Blonde, you get a little bit more into uh, the mythology of um, women and celebrity in particular. I think uh, Don't Worry Darling obviously is taking its aesthetics from the 50s and is trying to have some commentary on uh, the role of women, a quote-unquote traditional role of women from the 1950s that is is in and of itself a mythology that we've come to uh, create in American culture. So I think there are connections there between those two movies for sure. And there's issues with how it makes in those connections. I mean, it's, it's always an issue if you are defining your women in relation to men. Like, you, there, there are, 
there are ways to explore these ideas while actually centering the women. And if you are only creating your women in relation to the men, you aren't actually centering the women. You are still centering men in the in in a story ostensibly about a woman. And I think both of these movies kind of fall into that trap. I do think Blonde is by far, I think you said this as well, uh, the more interesting movie of the two. I would argue that's because it's an outright disaster. And I think Don't Worry Darling is more just like a middling failure. Like it's, yeah. it, it's just not as interesting because it's not as bad. <laughs> yeah, I think Don't Worry, I, I sort of think Don't Worry Darling is my least favorite of the two but i i think as we get into spoilers for that movie it's i think the problems of that movie kind of really boil down to sort of like a script that to you know kind of tie into like the idea of simplistic themes sort of like kind of boils down it's like feminist commentary into just sort of like men want to take us back to the 1950s which feels like a very like twitter hashtag like facebook comment like sense of insight into like i i I don't know maybe i'm not the person to sort of like (laughs) talk about feminist commentary in movies but it 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 seems like the more you know the more insightful take of that i i think would be you know sexism in the world exists in a much more like hierarchical and systematic and you know, when we get into spoilers of that movie, I think the the men that this movie is sort of framing as villains, I think kind of want something a little bit more sinister in the world than just sort of like, I kind of wish I could, I'd had a wife who was at home making me a roast. And, um, and I don't know, it just sort of felt like the commentary of that movie was very, very, uh, like would have been revolutionary if this was 1962, not 2022, if, if that makes sense any sense but um yeah can continue with 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 blonde <laughs> i would say kind of uh in that comparison i would say don't worry darling is a, a movie that fails because it, it just doesn't have a clear idea of what it, like a a, a a precise idea of what it's trying to say which is kind of what you i think what you were saying as well like it doesn't have a precise idea of its critique it's way too vague i think blonde has a very precise idea of what mm. it wants to be i for me the issue with blonde is i think it kind of hates Marilyn Monroe and Norma Jean behind her. I, I, I find it hard to discuss Blonde without basically referring to two different people when you're talking about the main character. You're talking about Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, yeah and the movie kind of does frame... I mean, there's the one scene in the movie where, like... I mean, it's it's in one of the trailers where, um, you know, quote, Norma Jean is, like, crying in front of the makeup mirror and is, like, when when will she come? When will she come? And the makeup artist is just, like, she's almost there. And you see, like the it's it's almost like a, a spirit like takes over her body and then it, she becomes like Marilyn Monroe the like character that she is having to sort of don for the world exactly and i as you said that scene makes it very explicit i think that is there throughout the entire film or perhaps i was just aware that that was there because again i had read the book beforehand and it's very explicit in the book talking about the creation of Marilyn Monroe and how Norma Jean did that so when I talk about blonde, I, I do tend to uh, kind of use both words to mean two very different people. When I say Norma Jean, I mean I'm talking about the person uh, who, the actual person. And when I'm talking about Marilyn Monroe, I'm talking about the character and sort of the mythology she created, and that's who we tend to remember. I do think both book and movie are very concerned with the interplay of both of those, and how both of those, uh, the, both the person Norma Jean and the character 
uh, Marilyn Monroe somehow exists within the same person and somehow got melded. And that somehow became a massive issue in her life that would eventually lead, obviously, to the tragic outcome that we all know her life headed towards. And this movie is very explicitly uh, playing to the end of uh, as its end point. Um, Boy, do I just think that uh, Andrew Dominic really hated Norma Jean. Like, I think that is the core problem of Blonde. I don't think he ever gets across a clear idea of her. I think he has a very clear idea of who Marilyn Monroe is. I think the biggest fault between book and movie adaptation is that the book did have a very clear idea of who Norma Jean was, or an idea of who Norma Jean was. Obviously, no one really knows. None of these people actually know who she was. They never met her. Um, the movie, once Andrew Dominic takes it over, he ha- clearly has the idea that these are two different people, or one person and one character. I just don't think he ever establishes who he thinks Norma Jean is outside of a victim that he kind of really dislikes. And there's been some odd quotes coming out from him as he talks about Blonde that really kind of backs up my rating of that. Like, he really thinks that she's kind of a terrible person and a terrible person that we have elevated to a cultural status that we all kind of remember. And I think you really feel that at, at this movie's core. And that's one of the things that, outside of the commentary it's trying to do, is really makes the movie unnecessarily unpleasant and something I kind of fundamentally disagree with because he seems to think that because she has had all of this tragedy in her life and because uh, she kind of gets, he then frames all of this tragedy around her relationship to men and the way men have mistreated her. And then obviously, as you know, we all know if anyone knows anything about the actual story of her life, you know, she fell into She had problems with addiction and she would eventually die, whether that was dying of an accidental overdose or um, a suicide. I'm unclear. I'm not a major historian on Marilyn Monroe. I do not know. I I do not know all the details. To my knowledge, that's still kind of up in the air. Dominic seems to treat it pretty clearly as a suicide to me. And I think he, most of his, uh, most of the film kind of seems to frame it as that, as she is headed towards that because That is the inevitable conclusion here. And I just find the way he treats that and the way he treats this idea of a person who has had troubles and who has had, you know, potentially mental illness and has struggled with addiction, I think really falls into a really hacky idea of that kind of a person. Meaning that I think he views that as a moral fault. And I just kind of fundamentally as a person disagree with framing those things as a moral fault. I think it's much more interesting to sort of talk about people who have mental illness, who struggle with addiction, who have these problems, to really uh, keep in mind the fact that, yes, they may have eventually succumbed to these things, as she did, but there's decades and decades in there of her struggling against it and putting up a very strong fight against it. And I think there is strength in that struggle. And I think if you lose the, that strength in telling these stories, you've really lost the plot. Yeah, I think I maybe kind of slightly maybe disagree with you on sort of like him outright hating Marilyn Monroe, but in a in in a way of sort of like I thought one of the more insightful uh takes I saw on this movie Richard Brody at uh the New Yorker compared it to Passion of the Christ and I think in the way of I think Dominic's sort of view of Marilyn Monroe 
is, I cannot believe I'm about to say this, is similar to sort of Mel Gibson's view of Jesus and Passion of the Christ, which is that it's all about sort of the suffering. Like this person only exists as like a martyr. Um, and in the way of sort of like, you know, my issue always with sort of the the Mel Gibson movie, aside from like some of the anti-Semitism stuff, but like the <laughs> main issue with that movie is like, cool, so you made a movie about Christ in which, like, I don't really understand who this person was as a person. It They only exist as sort of like an object for suffering and sort of think, like, we will thus have sympathy and connection to them as sort of like, oh, my goodness, like, look, look at the horrible stuff this person went through. And I think that's kind of becomes like Dominic's portrayal of Monroe is, like, she only exists in this movie as a martyr basically as as a an an object for suffering and to be brutalized on screen and and i don't i don't mean that in the sort of like there's obviously like a section of the people who are are like horrified by this movie online that is a very kind of like knee-jerk like well how dare you like make me watch this where i i agree with you i think like the point of this movie is like it's supposed to be a nightmare scape but i think part of what sort of feels distancing about it is we never have any connection to Monroe in this movie. She only exists as this sort of sacrificial lamb in this movie to sort of be, you know, rape and brutalized and sexualized by all the men in, in her life. Um, and even with like the, the various aesthetic choices that Dominic is using in this movie, like I, there's kind of one scene in the movie that is like, I, I think a pretty miraculous scene that is like, you did it. This, this is it. This, this like three minutes summarizes everything you're trying to say in this movie. And then it just feels like you have all this filler that you're just doing it over and over again. And it's the scene where it's like, um, it's, it's her doing the sort of famous, uh, like her skirt blowing through the, the subway car, um, for the, the seven year itch. And it's the screen is like totally black and it's only being illuminated by like the flashes of bulbs from the the men who are sort of standing around her and goggling and taking photographs. And he's shooting this from like a variety of different angles, but it's only being like illuminated by like the single pops from the photography. And he's taking this kind of like iconic image of like of just like american sexual um iconography and ever so slightly just because of how slowed down it is from the images and the sound in it to the score that's playing it feels horrific and you can clearly see of this moment that is like you know you could go to any 50s di themed diner and there's like some sort of poster of this and it's like oh what a fun like kind of sexy moment from american pop culture history and just him I, I i think kind of tweaking that ever so slightly in that moment makes for it like no this is pretty like demoralizing and these guys I, this is kind of gross to watch i just think then the problem of the movie becomes like you know that's what two hours into the movie that that scene comes and you know it feels like everything sort of surrounding it is like cool, you're just kind of making the same point over and over and over again. And even when you're doing kind of, you know, you talked about how this is kind of like 
a, a a trashter piece like it is it is it is a sort of bad masterpiece that i think also fits in with like some of the wild aesthetic decisions of you know like when we see marilyn monroe you know having have an orgasm the bed is going to turn into a waterfall right at that moment or we're going to have you know for all of her uh we're going to have a, a pov abortion shot we're going to have a a talking fetus that asks mommy, why did you kill me? Um, we're going to have a very, very like graphic scene of her being, uh, raped by JFK and have, uh, a like close up shot of her giving him, uh, him her orally pleasuring him that is then plastered on a movie screen where like a crowd of people like cheers and watches like it, th- this movie, it, when I kind of mentioned, like, it feels a little like, you know, can't see the forest through the trees. It feels like a movie where he clearly spent so much time of sort of like, what could I do? Could I do this? Or, oh, we could try this. And maybe this could be an allegory for this. And then, like, you sort of lose the person in this. It just becomes these kind of, like, elaborate bags of tricks, some of which work. A lot of which are like, holy crap, I can't believe you attempted that. That That is like either laughably bad or is just sort of like gross for the sake of being gross. Um, and you've sort of lost like the humanity in this story. It just becomes about these kind of weird aesthetic tricks and you, your only interest in Marilyn Monroe, Norma Jean, however you want to frame her, is just like, she is the sacrificial lamb and like, look at all of these like horrible things that happened to her. Shouldn't you feel sympathy? And it's like, I don't, I, you've done nothing to like show me the person that this is being done to. Yeah. I agree with a lot of what you said. Like I, 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 I agree that the, uh, the moment you pointed out of um, kind of coalescing this idea of kind of the horror behind the idea of Marilyn Monroe within that scene of the skirt lifting up in the 70 ridge. I think there's another very good shot that I think uh, it has been done before, but I found very effective one time she's like walking by a bunch of photographers and they have very subtly done something uh, digitally to um, extend oh. the guy's uh, mouth. Yeah. It, like, unless you're looking for it, it just kind of feels like something's off and you're not quite sure. Because I, I don't know if this is just because I see a lot of movies. So I was like, I bet they're messing with the mouth. And I started looking at the guy's mouth and I was like, yeah, they're extending it a it's, little bit. It's a very, uh, very like, did I did I just take an edible by accident kind of moment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there, those moments like that and that idea of like, actually this very sexualized image that we have of Marilyn Monroe that continues to exist in our culture actually has kind of a horror story behind it. Yes, that is very effectively got across. I think Andrew Dominic understands that. I think that's a very valid thing to point out. I also think that's kind of a a pretty simplistic thing to point out. And I Mm -hmm. think that it largely already exists in cultural knowledge. I think very few people think of Marilyn Monroe strictly as that sex symbol. I think, you know, I think we kind of compartmentalize how we think of Marilyn Monroe. I think you can compartmentalize and only think of her as a sex symbol, but I think some part of most people, at least in America, are aware of the mythology of Marilyn Monroe as a tragic figure as well. Like that is that is related to her image very fundamentally. So I just like, yes, that's very well done. Uh, I don't think that's enough to sustain a nearly three-hour movie. Uh, And I don't think, kind of as you were saying, it really says much specific about 
who Norma Jean was and establishing the character who was actually experiencing the horror of this uh, kind of image taking over her life and having great personal effect on her life, uh, since people tend to confuse uh, Marilyn Monroe for herself. Um, I think what's I think a really interesting comparison for Blonde that is inevitable because Andrew Dominic made it uh, is to bring up um, the assassination of Jesse James by mm. the coward Robert Ford. I think those movies are very connected as well. I think that is an absolutely superb, like note perfect kind of film, and I think that's because it's also dealing with the idea of celebrity very acutely and very acutely dealing with the idea of Jesse James as the myth versus Jesse James as the person. I think it gets that across really well. Maybe it has the benefit of not actually focusing on him as the main character. Maybe that's part of it. But it's just odd to think about these two movies together. Because on the one hand, like we both agree, Je- Assassination of Jesse James is a masterpiece. I think it is so uh, precise on what it's saying about celebrity culture. And Blonde here just kind of t- totally is not. And I think the difference between those two movies is kind of what we've been talking about the whole time. The assassination of Jesse James still has a very clear idea of Jesse James as a person and not just the mythology of him. Like when I think of that movie, I think back to not only like these really beautiful shots of uh, Brad Pitt, who plays Jesse James in the movie, of just like embodying this like mythological sort of stance and framing. And he looks like you understand just from how he is shot, why people would continue talking about him hundreds of years later. But then you also have these moments in the movie where he is framed as a very small, very fragile man. And I don't think this is a spoiler since it is the title of the film. Jesse James is assassinated in the movie. What? And I think, yes. <laughs> Shocker. Um, So, um, but the way specifically like his assassination is shot, like he is shot from behind um, and when he is shot, his body crumples in such a way that it's just very human and it's very fragile. And you just kind of feel the impact of that bullet going through and that he just dies as a regular human being. That That is who dies in that moment. It's not the mythology of him. It is a man, Jesse James, dying in that movement. And you can see from just the way that entire thing is shot. So from that, I can just tell Dominic has a very clear idea of Jesse James as a person, and I never get anything like that in Blonde to see Norma Jean. It is almost entirely every time we see her, she is framed and sort of presented as more of an idea of Marilyn Monroe than she's ever framed or presented as a person Norma Jean. I think that is the fundamental problem of Blonde. Yeah, another movie it it made me think of that I would... I would be shocked if Dominic did not say it was like an inspiration on this movie because it 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 seems it seems like the so like clear example of what he was going for but somehow misses is uh Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me, which is a movie that I like hated and despised when I first saw it. Um and even to this day, like it is it is a very, very tough sit movie. Um and and is sort of this like surreal nightmare scape but as much as sort of like Cheryl Lee's character is sort like as much as Laura Palmer is sort of like a, a sacrificial lamb and a martyr in that movie like there there is a sense of sort of life to her beyond like the events in the movie and Lynch is at least like smart enough to know how to sort of build the tension 
and build sort of like this impending dread that like something something is going to happen some you know we as an audience are watching kind of like Un- unable to sort of change the outcome of this movie of like w- we're watching the impending sort of death of this woman um slowly unfold over the movie and it being this loss of innocence but dominic doesn't do that like this movie kind of starts off like in a pretty like punch you in the face sort of manner and i think that that fits to the sort of uh the exhaustion and kind of lack of interest i sort of had as the movie kind of got to its like last hour essentially was like, I don't, I don't know where we can go from here. And I think Lynch both under is able to give you that like really disorienting horror aspect that sort that really disorienting surreal horror element that Dominic's going for and have this story of this sort of like beautiful blonde woman who is kind of like torn apart um, by boogeyman out in the world um but is able to do it in a way where you both empathize with her and sort of feel the horror of when that actually happens in the movie but also has like a sense of of pacing to it of like knowing knowing when to racket up the tension and not just sort of like you know play your hand at the start of the movie and then there's nowhere else for it to go so I will say kind of two things I just want to make sure I get in here. One, I think Blonde is a like, beautifully well-made film. Like, I, I cannot yeah. knock it in any way for, like, its cinematography, its, you know, its lighting, its costume design is gorgeous yeah. and just spot on and creating, recreating these, these costumes that everyone knows from the image. Yeah. And yet fitting it onto Anna de Armas, who, you know, is a different person than Marilyn Monroe. So, I mean, there's complications there. What, of just what do you think about her in the movie? Yeah, and that's the other thing. I don't think this is an Anna de Armas problem. I think she's doing a very good performance for what she's being asked to do. I really do think this is a fundamental problem of, like, this is a beautifully well-made movie done by a bunch of very skilled people with just no vision behind it. Yeah. And so it's just totally empty uh behind it but i just want to point that out because i think there's a lot of people's work here in this movie that deserves credit and and adarmus as well i don't think again i don't think she's the issue here it is it is a committed performance for a role that i have to be on like it's been kind of funny people have been asking me like oh so she's definitely winning an oscar for for that i'd be like well i one i don't think people in the academy are going to finish this movie two like it's kind of hard for me to say whether it's a good or bad per it, it is an insanely committed performance for a role that I don't think asks much of her to do other than to, you know, be a victim on screen. Like it's, and and that's not a problem on her. It's sort of like, I don't think she's given that much to do in this movie, but I think she like gives it her like 100 and like 20%, like all in effort into like trying to, to make this a character that's like not really a character like you said it's an idea on the page it's not a person right and i mean even if i think this even if i think this movie had worked if they had gotten an idea of uh norma jean as a person 
there would still be a significant part of the movie where she would need to be playing Marilyn Monroe and playing this idea. So like, I, and I agree with you. Like she's not exactly what she's asked to do. It, it, that, it is nothing that is a problem of this movie is I would put at her feet as no. her fault. Um, the other thing I would say is something you've kind of been saying. You said uh, a while back that, you know, I think you said Richard Brody had compared it to uh, a passion play. I have seen that as well from um, Alonzo Duralde, who writes for The Wrap. I, I, I think that's a very astute comparison here because, y- yeah, you, you, are, you are focusing in fundamentally on this character who is a martyr figure, who is being sacrificed at the altar of kind of American culture. Um, the issue is when you are doing a passion play, a story about Jesus, there's a very clear idea of why he is being sacrificed. And in this movie, because we do not get a clear idea, I think, of Norma Jean as a person, we lose sight of the fact of why she is being sacrificed. I don't think this movie ever gives a clear idea of why she is being sacrificed or what has come of that. And I think, again, that is kind of the problem of the movie. Again, as you have been kind of been talking about like a lot of trees here totally missed the forest but that's kind of to me like that should be the point um why why is she okay if you're putting me through all of this and you're showing all these horrible things she went through why why is she being put all through all these horrible things what is the point that i should be taking from this story what is you know what is your point of view or what is your critique of us as american culture more broadly within this movie and it, there's just nothing there in blonde it's it's kind of surprising how well made this movie is with just nothing behind it well let's let's transition from from blonde to talking about don't worry darling um i'm curious what your expectations were of this one going into it um i we we kind of don't have time to unpack the 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 very like tabloidy uh in some cases hilarious sort of like build up to this movie um as well as i just think you know if you're a listener and you want to hear about that like congrats there's like (laughs) billions of different uh outlets on the internet where you could possibly uh hear and read about that but you know i i personally like after everything, I think I went in with a sense of curiosity, but also a sense of like, maybe it's not that bad. Like maybe I, kind of getting a little bit of the sense of like, I'd already heard some of the initial reactions from like the Venice Film Festival of like, oh, it's it, that were like the initial wave of reviews was really, really bad and kind of chalked that a bit up to like, you know, us as critics sometimes like, there are movies that come around where it's like the movie might not be an atrocious disaster, but it, there's a sort of gleeful sense of like, I'm going to, to really like eviscerate this. And it's not any kind of like vendetta. It might be a vendetta against like the people who made it or just sort of like the culture seems to be kind of like, you know, like another example of it. I'm, I'm sure is like, that is a really bad movie from this year is like, the Morbius thing kind of became such a joke that like that being another movie where I'm sure there were plenty of critics that were like, I cannot wait to write my negative review about this. And I'm going to like really let my like flourishes and pros fly and just sort of like throwing darts at this thing. Um, And so I, I kind of went in with the sense of maybe that was happening. Lights went up. 
And I was kind of like, wow, that was really horrible. Like that was one of the worst movies I've seen all year. Kind of like could not, was sort of stunned. Um, really, I think the only thing, I mean, it is, it is like blonde. It is like a very well shot, like incredible production design, like a lot of craft on the screen. And I think does have like a really strong central performance by Florence Pugh, who I think is maybe like the most exciting, like young movie star of the last couple of years and is doing her best to lug this thing, like across the mountain, like throw this movie on her back and kind of lug it across the mountain. But yeah, I think just as we'll get into, like, I, I just sort of was stunned. I think this movie is sort of a mess in a sort of like conceptual sense and the more information the movie sort of drolls out of, as to like what is happening, the less and less it made sense to me. And then also feeling like kind of, as we hinted earlier, the, the commentary at its center is not, not even underbaked, just sort of like, like this is raw. Send this back to the kitchen. Like the, as I hinted earlier, this, this movie is not, this the commentary in this movie was like edgy and cool when the Stepford Wives did it in what like the early seventies, and in twenty twenty two it feels like it's like really missing the bar in terms of like what it is trying to comment on. But I'm curious, like what what were your expectations as you were like going in to see this thing that after everything involving you know Harry Styles and Shia LaBeouf and Spitgate and and all of that hysteria going in going in I I am I am best described as just tired I was tired <laughs> going into this movie I was like get it uh, over I did, with was, yeah you know I I am not huge on this celebrity gossip thing uh-huh. and that is what how this whole thing kind of really hit me as like th- there has been a lot of particularly since the Me Too thing of trying to call out really bad behavior on set and I think there is 100% a place for that. And there is value in doing that and making sure that there is better behavior within the movie industry as a whole. Because as we now know, it's absolutely terrible and it can get absolutely terrible. There has been wild accusations being flying, being flown around about a lot of different people. A lot of it has centered on Olivia Wilde as the director. To my knowledge, we don't really know what happened. So this is all literally gossip right now. And even the worst gossip is not raising up to the level of like, like super really bad. It's more kind of like fun tabloidy stuff of like, I've kind of rolled my eyes a little bit at the people that are like, oh, this, but that like really, I even hesitate to call it controversy because it, it is all pretty like trivial stuff that you would find in like, a magazine in the Walmart checkout line or something like that. Yeah. Again, I, I, I bring this up to point out because I think it is very important to point out with, with how wild that went and just how widespread that all got. I just think it's important to point out that we do this so many times and we do this particularly with women. And I think this be- it has almost become its own kind of commentary that is more astute than the actual movie ended up being in that, we start getting any hints of a woman in the industry, particularly a woman who has a little bit of power, like Olivia Wilde moving into directing, um, we will immediately tear them down as soon as we can with just like wild accusations for things that of course men get away with all the time for doing much, much worse. And that is how the whole thing felt to me. It felt like people just wanted to gossip and it's time to take down this woman. 
And again, I don't know what happened. None of us know what happened, but that is not the tack that any of this conversation started taking. And it annoyed the crap out of me that we all just started doing it again and again and again. And we learn nothing. We just do it over and over again. So there's odd commentary there that is actually in relation with both of these movies that we're talking about. <laughs> so maybe that'd be I would just like to movie. chastise everyone. <laughs> yeah, I would like to chastise everyone who is participating in that. Like, uh, pay attention to the the art we're discussing because it's discussing these same things, and you're being bad still. Um, <laughs> putting that so that all just made me tired. <laughs> so going into the movie, I was just like, oh, I just want this movie to like come out, be done, and be over with. And I'm honestly kind of happy that it's, I, I know you said you think it's one of the worst of the year. To me, it's not. To me, it's just kind of a middling failure. I think there's good things going on here. Like you're saying, the production design is immaculate. Mm-hmm. Many of the things, much like Blonde, it's a very well-made movie. Yeah. I think the ideas behind it are poorly thought out. I agree with you that there's just, again, like not much there. Unlike Blonde, though, um, where I was saying Blonde kind of hates Marilyn Monroe, and that really makes it incredibly unpleasant um, and really kind of harmful, I think, to the idea of Marilyn Monroe and anything that's trying to say. I don't think there's anything particularly harmful around Don't Worry Darling. Like, I, I just, I think it's kind of half-baked, but I don't think any of the ways that it goes wrong is doing anything particularly terrible to the things that it's trying to say. Yeah, so it, how do you want to go about kind of like un, unpacking this movie? I, I guess one kind of like non-spoilerly thing that I, I, I think is is worth pointing out is the is the cast. Um, mention, I, I think Florence Pugh, really great in it. Um, Harry Styles, I know there was a little bit of like knives out for like, Oh gosh, is this going to be one of the worst performances of the year? I kind of I don't think he's like it's not a train wreck performance. It's just kind of like he's kind of a little bit of like a block of wood, which was a little surprising to me of like for someone who's such a huge megastar like is kind of like there's kind of nothing there on screen and I think when you put him next to to Pew who is so like effortlessly charismatic and magnetic on screen, he kind of there's something that kind of feels small about his performance and um just not it it reminds me a little bit of like when i was talking to people about like ansel elgort last year in the you and i had this conversation about the the west side story movie and i was just sort of like he's kind of getting blown off the screen by everyone around him because everyone else is so magnetic and he you know just does not have the the screen presence that everyone else does um and i don't know we're we're gonna just have to like flow throw up a spoiler flag at a, at a certain point i think to really unpack kind of my big issues with this movie but i i would say the kind of like first non-spoilery issue was just sort of not buying them together as as a couple on screen yeah the knives were are definitely out for harry styles um Boy, he's getting a lot of it, too. People were ready to eviscerate his performance. And yeah. I think I'm maybe even a little more uh, higher on his performance than you are. Mm-hmm. Like I, To me, he falls into that idea of he's probably a fine actor with good material. He's definitely not an actor who can elevate bad material. Mm-hmm. You can see Florence Pugh here elevating the bad material that she's working with by by just her skill as an actor. 
Harry Styles does not have the ability to do that. I think when he is given like the individual scenes that work with him, I don't think he's a problem in those individual scenes. I think he is perfectly serviceable as an actor in that case. Um, I, I'm not having the issue of like the star power. Like he's not to me. He's he's much more magnetic than Ansel Elgort. Ansel Elgort is just like a dead fish laying on the <laughs> screen. <laughs> like he gives me nothing. Like Harry Styles is at least like he feels like a person is existing. Like I can see light behind his eyes that there's like emotion there. Like he he exists on the screen, and that's like a big step up for me from Ansel Elgort. So like. There are moments when, yes, he is given, when, like, the material really gets off with him, he really struggles when the material gets off. And I think there's moments when the emotions get higher, that he is not natural at doing kind of elevated emotions, unlike uh, Florence Pugh is able to regulate that a little better and make it feel more natural. Um, So, like, him as a performer, I think, for me, the jury's still out. Like, I think he could be, I think he could be fine, given decent material. Yeah, I don't, I don't. material here. Yeah, I don't think this character really has, like, to his credit really has the character has to be shrouded in so much mystery um i i did kind of wonder i was sort of trying to think of like who would be better in that role and like the shia labeouf thing i have no idea what that would look like because i or i think that would work if we're like going to like time travel like 2007 shia labeouf like i think that's actually like pretty good energy of like someone who seems very relatable and but maybe there's like a menacing side that can come out later i have no idea like i i could not fathom he, he's such a different actor now than like he was that i i can't think of like how he would fit into this part um i i did also enjoy have to say chris pine in this movie who i think similarly gets kind of like a weird character that i guess we'll talk a little bit more about here in a bit but uh, clearly he seems to be having fun kind of playing the mustache twirling villain of this movie um do you want to just throw up spoiler spoiler alerts should we get into spoilers now sure i think I, what's funny is you keep talking about like we need to warn people about spoilers and I, my whole one of one of the the other reason why i was tired going into this movie is everyone was just like oh no what's it actually going to be about and i was like did you see the trailer don't you know exactly what it's about like <laughs> i don't think this movie is hiding like as you were saying like a stepford wives like it's 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 wearing its influences on its sleeve like yeah. I think we all know where it's going That's, don't we it's just not the particulars that is that is very very true the spe- the specifics of it i guess are are spoilers but i I even kind of like had the feeling of like there's kind of a midpoint in this movie where it sort of drags for me and I was a bit like I know where this is going like like yeah. like I I'm not stupid like I have seen the Stepford Wives I've seen the Truman Show I've seen all of these movies that Olivia Wilde is like throwing out as influences in in interviews like I I know what the the final card of your movie is going to be. I guess it's just sort of spoilers for the the speci- the specifics of how it it all unfolds, but um I guess there's your warning. But we we basically learn in the kind of the last third of the movie that this whole 50s-esque community is really a computer program and that um Florence Pugh and Harry Styles are a couple in the real world. She is a OR surgeon and he is like a weird incel Harry Styles who like, I kind of did have a chuckle of like when she comes home from work and she's been 
working 30 hours down at the hospital and like incel incel harry styles is just like video gaming and has like the ratty hair and like the bad goatee that looks like it was put on by like uh like sticky tape from staples or something like that and she's like did you make dinner he's like oh i don't know how to cook well can you cook for me oh do you want to have sex with me no well why didn't you pick up your phone well and just like complains to her and she's like do I have to do everything for you? And she goes off to bed and he pops in a podcast, I guess, or a YouTube video from that we hear is the voice of the Chris Pine character, who I guess is like, I mean, Olivia Wilde has been very upfront with this is like a Jordan Peterson esque, like commentator. Who's basically like the world is in chaos because we need like the balance of men and women has gone out of whack and so Harry Styles like picks up this machinery that kind of looks like the eye stuff from a clockwork orange and like it hypnotizes Florence Pugh. And then so they're in this basically the entire world of this movie is like all the women are basically trapped in this community by these like incel men who just want to live in the 1950s. Like that that's kind of what I was getting out of like. I don't, I mean, I guess, like, that's sort of that, that, I feel like that's not the most dangerous thing these, 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 like, weird, like, men's rights people, like, want out of the world. I, 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 it seems like what they want is a lot more dangerous, and it seems like this isn't really commenting on, um, kind of how sexism and sort of the patriarchy against women, like, works in the world now which it seems like is a lot more again i ironically i'm coming at this as a man but it my, it it just feels like in the world it's a lot more kind of like shrouded and not as simple as like we we want to put put aprons back on women and put them back in the kitchens again like it seems a little bit more devious and a little bit more i guess systemic than that now and just sort of found that eye rolling as uh, a commentary on the movie and then my other problem before pitching this to you is once we know that it kind of makes the logic like the internal logic and rules of this movie kind of don't make sense to me of sort of like we also learned that olivia wilde's character in the movie knows what's going on but she's there by choice and then there's like a weird moment where Jimma Chin, who like really has a nothing part in this movie and plays Chris Pine's dutiful wife, just like stabs him all of a sudden. So I guess she's become sentient and it becomes really unclear of, unclear of like who is aware of like the fictional world they're in and who's not. And like, wait, if this is a computer program, like what's the explanation for all the like weird surreal stuff that like I'm sure everyone has seen in the trailers, like the glass wall like in, intruding on Florence Pugh or just her randomly being like, I'm going to wrap my head in saran wrap or something like that. And the plane that just falls out of the sky, like the, the, the internal logic of this movie to me, like doesn't feel kind of thought through and, but also like the commentary at its center feels really, really, really uninsightful and and like i said feels like it's 60 70 years dated 
at at this point in terms of like really trying to like put its finger on what's happening in the moment. I 100% agree with you that like once you get to the every as I said, I think anyone who has been told a story before knows vaguely where this story is going. Like it's just a pretty fundamental story that gets recycled over and over again. Um the specifics of it is where it really becomes the issue. Um, I think that I agree with you that the specific uh, reason that this happens is just kind of silly. It doesn't make sense. But where it really becomes deadly to the film is that um, in the lead up of before the reveal in the movie, there's all these little like nightmarish things that start happening to Florence Pugh and that is tipping you off that like not everything is as it seems. Which, again, is very standard in these stories. The problem is, in order to make that work, those little things that you're dropping need to actually add up or be hinting at what Mm -hmm. your actual reason is. And they don't in this movie. They make no sense. Like, you can't put these little pieces together like you're saying. There's a plane. There's glass suddenly, like, you know, uh, pressing her against a wall. There's moments where she starts seeing other people as herself in reflections and things. And it's just like none of these things are actually adding up or would be things that would happen if this computer system that you're saying or whatever it is that's actually they're actually in is glitching and right. is causing her to do this. Like, it, just, it, it none of these things add up to your explanation. And that makes the whole movie, I think it, I think you said that, that you felt like there was a little, like, downtime in the middle of the movie. You were like, okay, get to it. I had the same feeling because I was just like, these things aren't adding up. I don't understand where you're trying to take us with these. Like, I understand that this is not the real world. Like, big shocker there. Mm-hmm. But like, okay, where are we heading? I'm not able to put these pieces together. And that kind of made it feel a little aimless there in the middle. Um, one of the funny things I hadn't thought about until you were describing the uh, the uh, twist of the movie is you were describing their relationship in the real world. And I sat there and went... You know, I hadn't thought about it, but now that you're describing it, I was like, why does she like him? Like, right. what, what is the appeal what? of this relationship? <laughs> there's even like the weird, I mean, I mean, the the one bit that like, I guess is kind of a tease to that is there's like the one bit where she like blacks out in the computer program or that I guess is explained of like, she left the computer program, but he had to replug her back in or the, uh, don't have time to get into like the uh, stuff. I don't, but there's like the bit in the movie where she walks in on him trying to cook her dinner and Harry Styles is trying to make mashed potatoes by smashing a liquor bottle on like a raw potato and is like is this how this works i'm like are are you like do you have a mental disability like what 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 why do you think like that's how why is that your instinct like is this supposed to be cute or something and then like it's revealed of the like i don't know how to cook ah He apparently couldn't even order anything for dinner. That's how bad he was <laughs> in the real world. It's like, not only could he not boil some potatoes to make mashed potatoes, he didn't even understand how to order dinner, yes. at least. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and it's things like that. Again, like, nothing in this movie adds up or ends up making sense. So, on top of its ideas of kind of uh, the the threats to women from these kind of people who want to, who use very not coded language um, to say, to go back to like how things used to be and some idealized idea of America, which generally uh, in the code is all talking about around this 1950s idea, which this movie is aesthetically bringing up. Um, Yeah. It's not specific. I don't think there's any specific thing that is trying to say beyond, Hey, that'd be really bad. Actually women don't like that. Um, And yes, that's a problem. 
I would say I would push back a little on something that you said in that um, that isn't necessarily as precise of a horror of what women are facing right now. Because to me, when I hear those messages in the real world of someone like, I don't know if Jordan Peterson specifically says it. Um, I'm not as up to date on Jordan Peterson. I, I'm not the Jordan <laughs> Peterson expert either. Yeah. Um, and, and I really don't care to be. So, but yeah. it's like I feel like he talks about really weird things that aren't necessarily that. But when you talk about like you know make America great again and like those kinds of slogans that are really specifically talked about, uh, and, and a lot of the language around uh, the abortion issues and how that has really you know gained momentum. That kind of language to me is very specifically evoking to me um, wanting to put women into the exact place that this movie is talking about. It's wanting to say, no, there's very... And and this also gets in, I think, maybe even more specifically to language, like the anti-trans language that is coming Mm. out a lot. Like People are getting very specific about gender roles right now um, and are really pushing back heavily against that. And any of that language is very coded as protect women they need to you know be in the home and they need to be cooking me dinner this is generally coming from it um and they need to be doing all of these things like they would in this idealized version of the 1950s that never actually existed in the world um i I do feel like that is the specific threat that is going on right now in terms of kind of the gender relations within uh and gender politics within america as a whole i won't speak to any other country because i'm not familiar with it um but I think the issue is not that that is the specific horror. I think the issue is, okay, how do women actually specifically find that? And what is specifically horrific about that idea? That is what's missing from this movie. Like, I don't think it's hard for anyone to say, yeah, it would be really awful to like have nothing in your life besides caring for this other person. Okay. So what's the specific horror of that? Like, what is the terror of that? Like the terror of that, like I, un- I think I understand what they're trying to say. Like they're trying to talk about bodily autonomy with this, with the setup that they've set, with the setup that they've given, which is basically like you literally see in the real world, Florence Pugh is laying on a bed, as you said, with those eye things from a clockwork orange. And like, she has no bodily autonomy in this situation. Like that is a very clear, like visual representation of a woman having zero bodily autonomy and being completely controlled by a man. Um, so yes, like I can see it was going for that, but it just doesn't understand. It doesn't get across what the actual horror of that feels like. It also is kind of like, and I think part of the reason it might be struggling to to convey that is a lot of that information is just kind of like really rapidly sort of spewed out kind of like very late in the movie. There is something kind of weirdly misshapen about the the way that the whole movie is sort of, constructed of sort of as we said there is that kind of like yada yada middle section where as you said the the sort of surreal things that are happening for Florence Pugh aren't really adding up and so we're just as an audience are kind of just like waiting around for the reveal of what is going on which you know as we said we've seen movies we kind of have an idea of like you know I think uh British critic Mark Kermode was like there's really only three options for like how this movie is going to end and sort of like when it gets revealed you're just sort of like oh that one okay that's the 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 you picked option b out of <laughs> out of the list um and then like in the, you know like so much of the information is being spewed out in the middle of this like mad dash chase for Florence Pugh to get out of the computer system by like racing across the desert and so like there is the moment where like 
like the the moment where we figured out that like Olivia Wilde's character is voluntarily there it's like she just sort of walks in the room is like Florence you gotta get out of here by the way he's dead you need to get out of here uh, I was here by choice but no you're not here by choice and now I don't know about all the other women but you need to get out of here and then we cut and Jimmy Chin is like like fuck you and then stabs Chris Pine and we're like wait what what's going are is everyone becoming sentient at at this point of like the the movie is not even doing a good job at sort of like giving you that information in a way for you to sort of like process and have it make sense it's just sort of like uh you know rapidly spilling out the toy box at the end of the movie and is like i don't know uh there i made you something and then it ends yeah i mean it's the, the, these pieces with as you're talking about like olivia wilde's character and jimmy chen's character like I, there's th- these are again very familiar pieces in these kinds of stories um the the Gemma Chen character to me is like very explicitly the same. I forget the character's name in The Handmaid's Tale. That is, it is the character, it is the woman who is buying into the system and mm-hmm. is trying to use it to her advantage and on some level thinks it's good, but then will eventually, you know, if you carry on the story long enough, the ramifications will hit her and she'll be like, wait, maybe this is bad. But like, everyone knows that character. And like right. So to me, like everything about the way she was framed, I was like, okay, she's that character. Like she's the one buying into this. The Olivia Wilde one was kind of came out of nowhere, and I was like, "Whoa, that was not set up." Like, <laughs> that's sad, but that was not set up. And then Whoa. I was like, "Wait, so is your husband played by Nick Kroll the AI? Like, is is he not real, or is he there voluntarily? Like, what?" <laughs> I think he is. I think they are both there voluntarily. Okay, so she okay. is just like choosing to exist in this world, which you know, fine. They 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 explain that as saying like she she lost her children in the real world, so in this world she gets to have her children. So I was like, okay, like that, 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 that is actually an explanation that can kind of stand emotionally on like a one line thing. I was like, okay, people will understand that. It's just not set up with that character. So when no. she runs in and gives the speech, you're like, whoa, wait. Yes. <laughs> you're like, um, weird sucker punch out of, in the middle of the movie there. But yeah, like as that big reveal is played out, you're just kind of like, as you were saying, like, okay, they went with option B. And then you have this really weird, like, car chase through all of this mm-hmm. that is completely unengaging. Because it's like, that's not what this movie has been this whole time. Like, it's not an action movie. Why are we suddenly getting an action set piece at the end of this movie? I, I She's going to make it out. Like, I've seen the movie. <laughs> Again, I've seen stories. Like, she's going to make it out of here. Like, they're not going to have her die at the end. So I was so unengaged at the very... And these are, like, the very last moments of the movie. I'm so unengaged with the last moments of the movie. There is a shot where Florence Pugh is running barefoot at the end of this chase. And she runs across metal that has been sitting out in the sun in the desert. And I just, the entire movie stopped for me. And I just went like, oh my gosh, her feet are burning. And like, so that's what I was thinking about for the like last seconds of this movie. And that is just such a, that is such a sign that this movie did not work at all for me. If I get distracted by that. Well, I think that about wraps us up for for this week. Um, I I guess the the positive thing I will say on on both "Don't Worry, Darling" and "Blonde" is sort of like, even though neither of them worked for me, I'm glad someone tried. And that sounds like a little bit of a backhanded thing to say, but like you know, "Don't Don't Worry, Darling" is a mid budget, high concept thriller with big movie stars at the center and it is like an original movie and like it it almost i'm i'm hurt that it did not work for me at all because like that's the kind of movie i'd like to see more of um and blonde you know as we said like 
is a wild, audacious, like, big auteur project that, like, it's kind of hard not to also watch knowing, like, the statements Netflix has made about, like, changes in their movie strategy and be like, oh, yeah, I mean, you guys probably watched this and were like, we can't, we can't be doing this <laughs> anymore. <laughs> we can't, if we're not going to be winning Oscars, we're, we're done just sort of bringing, like, ambitious filmmakers on and saying, do whatever you want. Um, and, but is a movie that even for as unpleasant as we said, like got to the end of it and was like, you guys really, you know, to use a Charlie Brown metaphor, like you guys really ran towards that football as hard as you could and (laughs) just missed and fell on your back. But like, I'm, I'm a bit gobsmacked at just sort of like the, the amount of room you guys had to just do something like wild and audacious and weird. And so like, I guess a long winded way of saying like, I'm I'm glad both of these I'm glad people I'm glad both these movies exist even though I really disliked both of them if that makes sense. I 100% agree. That would be my summation as well is that these are the kind of movies I want to see and I want to see people discussing these topics within movies. I I just they just weren't good examples of these kinds of movies unfortunately. Well, Emily, thank you again for for stopping by this week and for for discussing for discussing both Blonde and Don't Worry Darling. Um, look forward to your continued uh, handling of the Spitgate situation. <laughs> and uh, look forward to having you back for another episode. <laughs>